How do we define ourselves? Who could we be tomorrow? Are we a story we tell ourselves? A movie we direct and edit as needed? Or do we really just take it as it comes? Improvise and, in the end, really make a meal of it? Course the first. The amuse-bouche. Seeing is believing. It begins, you think, with a taste. Nothing you noticed, and nothing you particularly remarked, but looking back you think, yes, a taste. Seeing them, seeing them, and suddenly, a whole world opened up. Something you had never had the opportunity nor the heart to even consider. But now the floodgates were open. Now you could think. Now you could dream. And of course, a taste would lead to hunger. They settled over your tongue. At first you were shocked. Never before had you tasted so many things at once. Then notes started to come through, started to dance across your palate and burst across your brain. Sweet at the first, brand new, subtler in its middle. A velveteen smoothness, slipping into something more comfortable. And to finish, a fiery echo of hope. Maybe one day you will eat like this again. Course 2. The starter. We begin, as we should, at the beginning. Now, the starter. As its name suggests, the start. Perhaps you decided one day, perhaps it was gradual, slowly sliding further down the street labeled with your name until the corner comes into view. And a new street with a brand new shiny name awaits. Not the most substantial part of the overall meal, but what feast would be complete without it? Did your mouth still sparkle with echoes of the new? Or maybe you'd cleansed your palate and only with the first bite would you remember what it felt like to taste. Whatever the case, and however you came to this meal, in whatever fashion and in whichever company, the starter is the moment that makes or breaks it. You look down at what's laid before you and you wonder, will this be a good night? Will I be satisfied? Or will I end up overfull and regretful that your excitement and eagerness has been the gate to gluttony, and now you suffer for it? Whichever way the night goes, the starter is the signal. It's the first flag, and the shout of GET SET in the usual triad. One such beginning. Warmth. A bowl of something hearty and good. You feel it full you from your toes up and more your heart fast to your chest. It's a solid and steady thing. A surety. It will not last forever, and as the tide ebbs and the surety fades, you're left with something strong. A feeling behind your ribs that something could make you feel that way again. For one of your dinner companions, it was a girl. She had long, flowing hair. She was maybe a year or so older. Looking at her made your companion feel that steady heat rise in their chest. They knew with their whole soul, that that girl was exactly 
how they wanted to be. They went home and asked their mother if they could grow their hair. Their mother said, maybe next year, and the tide ebbed. The soup grew cold. And another? You couldn't read nor pronounce the starter before you. It was placed, nestled amongst its fellows, a small, doughy thing. You lifted it towards your mouth and let some of the excess oil and sauce drain away before committing. As you bite down, you feel your tongue, coated in an instant, grow warm and velvety with the rich red flavors and flashes of spice. It was a school trip. Another country, worked for all year in behavior and with saving and scraping on the part of your parents, but the smile with which you set off that cold September morning was worth more than such a paltry thing as money. The coach was uneventful. Many of your cohort were asleep, and those that weren't congregated in small groups on phones or with music players. A pack of cards here, a tete-a-tete there. It was like this for most of the trip. It was lovely. You had fun and enjoyed every moment. In years to come, however, much of your joy would be overshadowed by a world-shattering moment of something new. It was the final night. A museum trip had been swiftly followed by an arcade and disco, something to burn off all the energy in hopes of a quiet journey come morning. And, as naturally as the sun sets, a small number of you ended up back in the hotel with all the energy you were supposed to have spent only having doubled. And whether the chaperones didn't notice or chose not to know, rules were broken, and a mixed bag of you ended up in someone's cramped twin room. Talking turned to laughing, turned to someone grabbing a bottle of hotel shampoo, and within an hour, your whole world was different. They were soft, is what you remember most. All the laughter and giggles of your friends died away as your lips met theirs, and for three seconds there was something entirely new happening. Innocent, and beautiful, and good. You never spoke about it beyond that night. It was years before you figured it out yourself. But it was there, in that room, that you first thought, Maybe. And after the last spark of flavor clears, and you swallow, there is a strange, earthy taste at the back of your mouth. And you question whether you'd eat this again. Course number three. The main course. The meat of the matter. This is why you're here. The feast, the moment of pure opulence, the main event. Your mouth waters and your eyes dart to the kitchen several times, but you don't dare ask how long it will be. You're not impatient. You're not. You've just been waiting so long for it. It's been years since you last thought you could eat like this. 
years since you've eaten at all. The first course and the second are distant memories that you hope you dream will come frighteningly back to life with the arrival of your main course. You pray, not to anyone or anything or even to yourself, but you think in small words in that back of your head. God, I hope I like it. As it arrives, you lick your lips in anticipation. You wait politely. As everyone else gets their dishes laid out, yours came around the middle so you were waiting longer than some, but not so long as others. You look around as the last plate hits the table. Conversation peters out as everyone's eyes grow slightly covetous. You, however, have eyes only for your own plate. It is unlike the others at your table, piled high as they are with a meat and some accompaniments. That's not to say you order differently, of course, but your meal is a less structural affair. The curves are delicate rather than sturdy. The just glistens with a crystalline perfection as it pools at the edges, and as soon as the scent of it hits your nose, your mouth openly waters. The other diners have begun to look at your meal. Most have set upon their own, but some, not many, look to yours with mixed emotion. You struggle to read the faces of those nearest to you. Is that jealousy or revulsion? Do they hate you for having it or hate that they don't, but they like to try? But no, you cannot placate those who are not prepared. They have their meals, their own menu for now, and you finally have yours. The first mouthful tastes like the rest of your life. The second tastes like death. Not bitter, or rancid, or painful. Just an ending. The third bite is when you know. You will eat this meal through the rest of whatever time you have. Maybe one day you will look upon the menu and realize there is a new main available. Maybe your evening out will be with different dining partners. Perhaps the restaurant itself will have changed hands six or seven times, and what you once knew to be a reliable place to eat your fill is changed, irrevocably different, and your menu with it. You make a mess when you eat, not out of clumsiness, but out of joy. You don't care one bit about the looks and the disapproval or the wide-eyed, hopeful glances of some further down the table. You are at last eating exactly what you want. And nothing, no waiter or chef or maitre d' will stop you now your plate is before you. You grin as you finish, and the juice pours down your chin. And finally, dessert. A sweet escape. has left you, but not as the ones before it. You can still taste each exquisite bite. The flavors lay heavy and comforting and exciting on your tongue. There is time now to talk. Your dining companions are finishing their own meals and beginning to chatter amongst themselves. You smile to yourself and lean back in your chair. You feel comfortable. You look at your dining companions and grin, 
the ones not already engaged in conversation eye you. You begin to talk with whoever's willing. You discuss the meal at first, what everyone had and what they thought. This idle chatter soon develops into serious conversations. You ask a question of the person opposite you. How did you find your mane? You ask. They begin to respond. You see their face crease and their mouth part. You hear them speak. Although you struggle to make out what they say, what you mainly take away from it is the phrase, it's what was recommended. You look at them then, focus clearing your foggy head of the post-meal haze that's descended. Many parts of you speak up to be heard. There's panic, is the first and loudest. You didn't know there was a recommendation. Concern shortly follows. You wonder half awarely if you had decided to ignore it or whether you were never told. You look back to the diner opposite. Their mouth is still slightly parted. Their lips are crooked. Their eyes are fixed firmly on you, but for a moment, just a fraction of a second, you could have sworn they glanced down at your plate. And there is something in them then, in that briefest of moments, you think maybe it's a curiosity or a jealousy. You cannot be sure exactly what it was, but as the conversation builds around you, you find yourself watching. You see more eyes flitting from plate to plate. Take note of the ones that linger on yours. You cast your mind over what they ate, whether your starter was like yours, or was the amuse-bouche different. Did they order their main off the menus, or did they simply request whatever the person before them had ordered? You'd done that yourself before. It was sometimes simpler. If the menus were confusing, or if the company was not to your liking. Not bad, just unsettling. In that over-friendly sort of way that lets you know that so long as everyone orders the same, no one would be upset over anyone else's choices. You look at their plates. Some match the remnants on others' plates. Many of the ones paying your meal most mind have plate barely touched. Moved around and cut up, but still mostly there. You wouldn't have noticed, and you not had much cause to practice the tricks yourself. But you see them. As a lull settles over the table, you catch their furtive glances between each other, and although quickly diverted if your eyes do meet, at you. The lull grows longer, each person not daring to bring it up. Those aware of the secret communication carried out across the table, between those who didn't want to, shouldn't have to, couldn't bring themselves to eat what was recommended, sit self-satisfied, patting their well-filled stomachs. But between a few, but between a few, between some of you, those that know or are beginning to think there is something to know, a murmur is rising, a dangerous, 
self-indulgent and utterly deserved murmur, one that dreams of a moment where there are no recommendations, no glance or looks to garner. If you do not tuck in, one that dreams of a moment where there are no recommendations, no glance or looks to garner if you do not tuck in quite as readily as you should, or you can choose something, even if it is not what you truly want, or what you will want one day, something for now, something for you. Eventually, a voice is raised. Dessert? The finale. You pay less attention to your order in this course. Something comes, and you have asked for it. It is cool, delicate, intoxicating. It is everything you could dream a confection to be. You break it open with your spoon, and it oozes across the plate. Indulgence. Pure sensory joy. As it should be. You feel that it matters less what the final course is, and more that you get to choose one. There are some who abstain, some who do not need for sweetness in their mouths, those who don't believe it necessary, who have enough in their lives already, who need not seek small victories because they've already won the game. To some, however, those who know or think they know or hope to everything above that they might one day know, they ask for something they want. Some without thought, choosing something outlandish and brightly described. Others take their time and pick something they want so desperately they hardly suppress the urge to lick their lips. A sweetness. A treat. A blissful letting go. Whatever this final course means to those at the table, you take something from it all for yourself. There is such a power in choosing for the joy of it. Not because you were given, not because it was expected, not because it was your reason to be, but because, because you wanted it, and you could, and you should. Joy is not in the eating, the survival, the tasting of things, not in the need to get through, not even in the need to order exactly what you want from your own menu. The joy is in what comes after. You have finished. The menu is new and strange and entirely yours. You'll taste such a difference in your world. You'll look back on what you began with and realize how it led you to the bigger picture, to the main event, to your menu. But then, when you are satisfied, then comes the moment of joy. As you look at what else is on offer, the back page of the menu, and someone will ask you, smiling shyly, as someone did tonight, dessert? And as you stare down at what remains of yours, you will know you didn't need it. You could have done without, but you wanted it. 
and you ask for it. And as the last of the overwhelming sweetness turns not unpleasantly bitter in your mouth, you smile and look forward and do all the things that you may not need, but that you want. And it feels sweeter than any sugar ever could. Now it could go on. We could talk about your wine choices, your palate cleansers, and the brief chats had on the way to and from the bathroom. But we have belabored the point and worked the metaphor quite enough for one evening's entertainment. If you've yet to find your menu, eat what is recommended. Take heart that one day you will find yourself eating from a plate of your own choosing. And at a dinner, you chose to attend. And one day, maybe someone will nudge you playfully, look at you coyly and shyly ask, Dessert. And one day, you will be able to smile and say, Yes get cream all over your nose and go home smiling, the sugar coating your teeth as you smile into the breeze of a night where you chose joy. Transthologies is a trans anthology podcast distributed by the Listers Network and produced by Alex Abrahams and Zoe Davis. Low and Slow was written and directed by J.T. Jenkins and edited by Morgan Greenfield. In today's episode, you heard the voices of J.T. Jenkins as the maitre d', Ari Maloney as guest one, Megan Fellner as guest two, Morgan Champagne as guest three, and Felix Pozorski as guest four. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune in tomorrow for another delightfully trans story. But until then, remember, the first bite is with the eye.